as I come to look into the Word. Many of you were here earlier at 9.45. Well, actually, people were a little late today, but were here at least when the church school class began. Uh, if you're not aware of it, if the time uh, and your ability to rise in the morning and get here is sufficient, you have a very fine teacher in Nick Daniels, and I would encourage you. He always sets it up for me. He always, uh, you know, when I'm here, my experience is that he always teaches some of the very things that I'm going to be teaching, and repetition is the heart of education and learning. And that's just wonderful. But he is an excellent teacher. He obviously works very hard at his preparation. And I encourage you. So with that encouragement, I will end there and turn now to God's Word, to the book of Galatians, reading chapter 1 from verse 1 through verse 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God bless this reading. Of his holy word. No other gospel. When Paul heard of the errors being taught in Galatia, he was amazed, astonished that this could happen in such a short time. We're going to look today at his concern, his gospel and its truth, and implications of it. His concern, no other gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has accepted us unconditionally, not in regard to how good we are, or how sinless, or what wonderful works we might do. And we may indeed do some wonderful works, by the power of God's Holy Spirit and His help in our lives. Praise God for that. 
But the gospel is that our election, our salvation is unconditional. That's important. So he says, I am astonished. I am amazed. The word is actually thamazo, or if we pronounce it, uh, the A's in an English way, thamazo. It's where we get the word amazed. And he was amazed because it was so quick. There's consternation here, not anger. I think, and this is speculation on my part, and we need to be careful about that. I don't think these people who were coming with false teaching were even the kind of false teachers that he talks of elsewhere. My guess is, my speculation is, that they were Jewish believers who'd come up from Jerusalem and were having trouble letting go of the things in their culture. And that's true in every culture. The hard thing is to look at your culture and see what it is that you're hanging on to that you really shouldn't because we're so much a part of our culture. So I suspect that those who were bringing error were themselves in need of help from Paul in, in teaching. But even you know, if they were not, then he says, let them be damned. Let them be accursed. If they really are trying to change things, that would not be good. So he says, if, if we or an angel from heaven should preach that you have to do works, that you have to show that you're good enough or earn your salvation before God will love you and care for you enough to bring you to himself, if even an angel from heaven preaches that, it's false. Now, you know, an angel from heaven is not going to do that. There are some fallen angels who would do that but not angels from heaven. But that's what he says. He says this quite uh, quite strongly. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Then he goes on and says that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Who's the him? It would be very easy to initially think that since Paul is the one who brought the gospel to them in the first place, that he's speaking of himself. But he's speaking in the third person. He's not saying that I brought you or that I called you to. Who calls us to the gospel of Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So Paul says, him who called you. Galatians 5, it's going to come up later on. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, he says this again, is not from him who calls you. Look to the Holy Spirit in your lives. Uh, I'm reminded of a time when uh, a young man, Aaron Gonzalez by name, who's uh, born and raised uh, just about a block from the foot of the Brooklyn Bridge in Brooklyn. One of my students went away to college, came back, was hired, and so he could start calling me Dave instead of Mr. Dupee because he wasn't my student anymore. And as a staff member came up to me and said, Dave, the things we tell these kids, the decisions we make for them are so important for their lives how can we know that we're doing what is right? A good question. 
And it taught me something. Sometimes when you answer a question, you teach yourself because you haven't really thought about that question and that answer in that way. And I, I taught myself and I taught him. I said, Aaron, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. Do you believe he guides and directs you? Yes. Then trust that the things you do are his intent for the good of the children. Sometimes you'll make mistakes, but that just means that somehow he's planning to use that mistake. He's still in charge. He's still guiding and directing. And sometimes, and and I never know when I go preaching places what stories I've told and what I haven't, because at this age I'm a storyteller. But um, sometimes we know that the Holy Spirit has guided us, Often we don't. We have to trust. And my story of the one uh, where he did was a Sunday when in my student church. Have I told you this? You don't know. I haven't gotten far enough yet. Okay. Uh, In my student church, I wanted to go to an evening service. We did not have an evening service in our church. And the only church that did was the local Methodist church with a very liberal pastor whose preaching I knew would not be very helpful. But as I sat and debated, I thought, you know, if I go, I can still worship. The hymns are going to have the gospel in them. And I can hear the gospel, whether he preaches the gospel or not, doesn't keep me from worshiping. So I went down the street And the doors were open and the lights were on and the people were up and singing. And as I stepped in the door, the man in front, there was a man right in the middle of the aisle leading the singing. And I thought, oh, good, I can slip into a pew with nobody noticing me. You know, you know how that can be sometimes. And as I stepped two steps in, he stopped singing and said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I thought, oh, boy. What have I gotten into here? And then he said, Brother Dupee, come on down. Our preacher is sick. And we've just been singing and praising the Lord and praying that he would send God's messenger. I did not have my sermon notes. I did have my Bible, praise God. What can you say if you're a preacher in town? I'm not God's messenger. You're kind of stuck. But when I thought about it afterwards, I thought, why did I have that strong desire to go to an evening service that particular night? The answer is that was the Spirit's. And so I could look back and say the Spirit was leading. But most of the time, we just trust. And that's okay, too. That's fine. Galatians 5, you're running well. They were stopping and not running well. Question. Is not grace irresistible? Is not the perseverance of the saints, are we not guaranteed that we are going to complete the race? The answer is yes. I don't know how many of you have heard the acronym, which is not a complete acronym of the Reformed faith, 
but it's sometimes thought to be so, of TULIP. Some of you have. Probably many of you. I'm going to go through TULIP with you, but I'm going to change the order of the last two because I want to talk about irresistible grace. T is, of course, total depravity, or as R.C. Sproul says, I think quite rightly, total inability, simply that we are not able to save save ourselves. We're sinful. We're sinners. We can't make ourselves perfect. We need the help of God's Holy Spirit. Only the Spirit can call us to himself. And praise God, he has done that for most of you. I hope for all of you. And if not, pray that he would do so. Pray that he would do so. You is unconditional election. That's the gospel that salvation is not in any way based upon our works. And it is a major part of what Paul is talking about here. Unconditional election. God called me to himself when I was not behaving very well. And I didn't go through some of the depths that some people I wasn't uh, an alcoholic or into drugs or anything like that. But I had a very foul mouth as a young person in, in grade school, in eighth grade. And God called me. I would say, well, I said to him while singing a, a song, uh, Lord, I want to be a Christian. Lord, that's what I want. I wouldn't have said that except that the Spirit called me. And my life changed. And I didn't even try to change it. Now, I had to work changing, trying to change it, and I still have to work trying to change it to be all that I should be. I'm not there yet. If any of you are, let me know how you got there. But the Spirit did the work. Limited atonement. This is the part of the Reformed faith we don't like. Well, that we're not altogether comfortable with might be a better phrasing. Because it says that not everybody is saved. And Jesus, you know, said, many are called, but few are chosen. I'd love to see everyone in this world suddenly become fully saved and Christian. I'd love to see everybody in Crossnor. (laughs) I don't even know Crossnor, except that, you know, I'm here. Or any other community become saved. But we look at the world and it simply is not reality and Scripture reflects reality and is right there with it. Then perseverance of the saint. That's the last letter, but we're going to turn them around. Our salvation will never be lost. Assurance of salvation is at the very heart of this letter of Galatians. Sometimes you may look and say, I've wandered so far, or I've done something so bad. Can God really still love me? If His Spirit has called you to salvation, you are saved, and that is it. It is a work of God's free grace. Perseverance of the saints. And then irresistible grace. And I love this, some of these phrases. He has caused us to be born again. That's from uh, 1 Peter, the first chapter. I love that chapter. 
I'm going to preach on it someday, and I don't know when. My secretary from the boarding school where I was headmaster is now 94 and quite frail at this point and living in Greenville. And she has asked me to preach her funeral sermon when the day comes, which man knows not his time. We don't know. She may live to be a 100. That would be wonderful. We have wonderful talks. But at any rate, this is one of her favorite passages. It's the one I would have picked anyway. But since she picked the one I would have picked, that's wonderful. So I'll be preaching on that First Peter. If you've never read First Peter, read it. Uh, we may look at some of it yet today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I was not born before the foundation of the world. I'm old, but I'm not that old. My parents were not. Think about it. The world was founded. Man was created. If I look back, I had two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents, and you can go on and on and on. All those people had to meet one another and decide to marry. I hope some of them may not have married. I don't know my whole background. But have children, child after child after child after child after child, after child after, to get to me. But God knew before the foundation of the world that these things would happen and I would be born and he chose me and he chose thee before the foundation of the world. Think of it. It's just awesome. It goes beyond anything we could have conceived. And that's part of our gospel. John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. The words of Jesus, they follow me. That's God's election. That's being chosen before the foundation of the world. I was his sheep before Adam was created. <laughs> How can you say enough about that? First Peter 1, 3 to 5, 3 and 5. According to his great mercy, and there's those two verses, and they're not connected here, but this is the chapter I just talked to you about. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again. His act, his power, not ours, unconditional election. We who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's perseverance of the saints. That's the gospel. He's never going to abandon me. He's never going to say, well, you just haven't lived up to what I thought you would. You're out of here, Dave. 
He isn't going to say that. Because he's guarding me. That's his power too. My perseverance isn't my power. I should be using my power for it. I should be cooperating with him. That's true. But ultimately, it's his power. That's good news. Because if I could lose my salvation and somehow backslide and go to hell, even though he chose me, that would not be good news. But I can't. The Spirit who started a good work will bring it to completion. Why is Paul so deeply concerned here? I think for a number of reasons. Because he knows these are folk who are born again in the Spirit. They're not going to be lost through this error in the gospel. So what's his big problem? Well, I think it might be these. And again, this is a little bit speculation, and yet it's a logical conclusion, something that would follow from the error. Young Christians especially, hearing things that are in error and not true to the word, can themselves fall into error And then, by their witness and their living, not live as they could have. Their witness may suffer, and their faithful Christian living may suffer because of the error. And he doesn't want that. He wants them strong in Christ. He wants them witnessing for Christ. So he speaks of this different gospel. One that differs at its roots because it's saying there are some works you must do. Uh, I'm glad you're here worshiping God. You are called to do that in the scripture. We are called to join together with one another. But if you were at home and you never went to church, could you still be saved? Of course, it's his power. It's not. Coming to church, that saves you. That's a good thing to do. I want to be careful here. All of a sudden, there will only be ten people here next week. Lord willing, that will not be happening. Anyway, the point is that it would be a different gospel. There is nothing at all that you have to do to be saved. It is all his work. John chapter 18, verses 37b. And if you've never heard that before, 37b, what in the world is verse 37b? It's the second clause in the verse. It's kind of like books, like this Bible is printed in two columns, many of yours. This is, I don't know what page it is. Let's say it's 846. This is page 846a and this is 846b, if you want to refer to it. And you can do that with verses. Well, this is, this is uh, 37b and 38. Jesus answered. He's talking to Pilate. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And uh, Nick this morning uh, mentioned, I am the way and the truth and the life. In the, in the church school lesson. And Pontius Pilate in John 18 
This is he's not not out in front of the people. He's just talking to Jesus here. And he says to Jesus, he asks Jesus, what is truth? Now, I want you to understand that Pontius Pilate was a very well-educated man and that there are a lot of different definitions of truth. Many of them quite good and quite true, and they fit together. They either fit together or there's a problem. We tend to think of truth as simply the facts, you know, like Sergeant Friday and Dragnet, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. Nothing, just the facts, ma'am, nothing but the facts. But that's not the only definition of fact, of truth. So I'm going to give you three definitions. This is a little uh, philosophy, but philosophy supporting the gospel. The first one is called correspondence. Correspondence means that um, the belief is true only if and when it corresponds to a fact. So uh, Nick this morning talked about uh, the fact that the Jewish folk thought that Jesus was committing blasphemy when he said, I and the Father are one, when he made claims to be God. And if, if he were not God, it would indeed have been blasphemy. But, of course, if he is God, that changes everything. A belief is true if it corresponds to a fact. John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very strange saying, with God and was God. That doesn't seem to go together. But who was this Word? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 identifies the word from verse 1. Of course, that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Correspondence. In fact, he is God. And we have witnesses to that reality. The second definition is coherence. A belief is true only if it is part of a coherent system of beliefs. If things fit together properly. That's what we call theology. By the way, anytime you have an ology word, uh, it means logos or logos, properly pronounced in Greek, but logos means word. So anytime you have something like theology, biology, zoology, it's the word about something. Theology is the word about God. Um, I had students in Kenya that were reading things that took their English way beyond where they'd been, and they'd come up with ology, and I taught them that so that they could begin to <laughs> connect and learn their words. Coherence. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not the whole system of Scripture teaching, but it brings in a couple of things. He is faithful and will forgive our sins. He is just and will cleanse us from unrighteousness because our sins need to be dealt with. Now, I've probably told you that when I've been here preaching before because it's a big thought and a major thought in the gospel. The gospel is a system that fits together with coherence. It meets that definition of truth. And the third one, and there are many, many, many more, 
but these three are very basic and important, is the pragmatic or practical. A belief is true only if it works. Now, if you take this by itself, it gets very dangerous. Americans tend to be pragmatic and say if it works, it's right, which is not true. But if it doesn't work, that would mean it was not true also. Just because it does is not enough. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think I have said to you already, and if I haven't, I'll say it now, uh, to look back at your personal history. If you ever have any doubts come into your mind about your faith, Look at what God has done in your life. Look at your personal history. But also, in this regard, are you really a new creation? Sinful as you are, and you're a bunch of sinners that I'm looking at here. And I can say that because I'm with you. (laughs) Okay? Were you changed? I did not know the gospel when I said, Lord, that's what I want. I want to be a Christian. I did not have, I hadn't heard Billy Graham or Franklin Graham or my preacher didn't preach the gospel or I had no clue what I was saying. Well, I had some clue, but not much. But my life changed. I stopped using foul language the way I had. It didn't stop altogether, total. But it slowed down tremendously. God changed me. I was a new creation. Now, I might have liked to have changed a little bit more. I still would like to change a bit more. But you see what I'm saying? Look at your history. What God has done for you. How God has changed your life. Because the Spirit came in. That's Paul's gospel. The gospel of salvation unconditionally. Let's look at some implications. Each person's actions. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now that might sound, and people could take that to say, you have to do these things. You will only do them if the Spirit calls you. But you you have to do them as the Spirit calls you. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is often used in evangelism, by the way. And it is not an evangelistic passage. There are many that are. What he's talking about, Christians, is that if you'll... Open the door. We need to keep on opening the door to him and letting him come in, that he will come in and eat with us. And that's having communion with Christ. Not just the communion we have here, which is good, which is awfully important, but that's having communion with Christ. It's like a husband and wife, you know. When a, when a man and a woman stand before the preacher, will you have this woman Will you have this man? I will. I will. I now declare that this is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. 
Do we have any Smiths in the congregation? They're now one. That's union. They are one person. They are one. But they do not necessarily have communion unless they sometimes actually communicate with each other. (laughs) Those of you who are married, do you talk to one another? (laughs) Do you listen to each other? (laughs) Well, that's true with God, too. We need to have communion with him. We need to have communion with him. Let none turn you aside from the gospel. And there are ways that we can turn aside. One of the main ones is by being unequally yoked. And I choose to talk about that as one implication. It's usually pictured as having to do with marriage. And young people who are here who are not married, I assume that we have a few that are not, well, I know we have a few because they're way, way young, but I'm talking to those who are more young adult young. (laughs) If you're not married, you want to be sure that you marry someone who is a true believing Christian and that shows evidence of that in their walk. But that's not altogether what it means. If I go into a business relationship with a non-Christian and I'm bound to his decisions, which may be unrighteous and improper, I am unequally yoked. I can do business with a man who is not a Christian. I can buy things from him, sell things to him, and so forth. But to be yoked with him where I am bound by his decisions, or her decisions as it were, that's unequally yoked. Think about your lives. I'm sure there must be other examples of that as well. One of them, by the way, would be attending a church where the gospel is not preached. That's being unequally yoked, too. And I feel for people who are there, they don't even know that they're unequally yoked. But nonetheless, that's there. So let me suggest these things to remember. Welcome Christ into your heart and life. Every day. Every day. Take comfort and assurance knowing that it is his work and his power, not yours, that assures you of your salvation. Let none turn you aside from your hope and your faith. Know the gospel and be prepared to share it. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, I praise you, Father, and I pray for your presence for myself. I need you. I need the Spirit. I need to keep opening the door to my Lord. And I pray for your presence with these who are here before me, for their needs are as mine. Be with them, strengthen them, encourage them, strengthen their fellowship as a church, and as a church that is a witness in Crossnor and beyond. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.